and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled, What Then Shall I Cry? And it focuses on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The first reading comes from Isaiah 40, beginning at the first verse. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the foreign Lord come with power and he rules with a mighty arm. His reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Hear the word of the Lord. Loving Lord God, we thank you so much for the voice calling out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. And we pray that this Advent you would prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah was a young man when he got his first call from God. In Isaiah 6, a young Isaiah hears from the Lord. God's not happy about the state of his people. And so he says, whom shall I send? Isaiah, who didn't know any better, pipes up and says, here I am, Lord, send me. Perhaps you've sung that beautiful hymn, here I am, Lord. That's, that's from the calling of Isaiah. And if you have the opportunity to go home and read Isaiah 1 to 39, which will take a little bit of time, but I strongly recommend it. Then you'll see that God does send Isaiah, and Isaiah does answer the call. But his message is one of judgment. He tells the people they're wicked, and he warns them that if they don't turn back to the Lord, an invading force will come from the north, and it will judge the nation. This is often seen as Isaiah's first call. Now, there are lots of theories about where and who wrote this passage, but many see Isaiah 40 as his second call. Perhaps Isaiah is a little bit older, 
he spent much of his life being made fun of for being a doomsday prophet. And now he gets a second call in chapter 40. This time, excuse me, this time the message he's to send to the people is not a message of judgment. It's a message of comfort and peace. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, he says it twice. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is the message for the people of Israel in a time of exile, 150 years in the future. They sit in a foreign country longing for home and God's message goes from judgment to hope. And so in verse 6, God tells Isaiah to cry out. And Isaiah asks, what then shall I cry? And God gives Isaiah this message. Isaiah is to share God's cry of comfort and peace. He's to cry out the way of the Lord. And he's to proclaim God's message of peace. So first... In the first two verses, we see God's cry of comfort and peace. It's a message for a people who've been ravaged by war. Here we see that Jerusalem, God's city of peace, isn't just made up of a wall and buildings. Instead, it's a people. God speaks using the imperative. He says, comfort, comfort. Like a parent comforting a toddler. God is speaking grace repeatedly over a traumatized people. Then he speaks of how her suffering through war has paid for her sins twice over. But now this time of suffering, this time of refinement is over. This is something we need to be frank about here and stare in the face. We need to recognize that through all the chaos of invasion, God is in control. Yes, the people brought the judgment on themselves. And yes, it's the Assyrians who do the invading and pillaging. But here Isaiah says that Israel has received this judgment from the Lord's hand. God has been with his people all along, both as judge and as protector. God in his grace hasn't abandoned the people to their sins, but he has dished out the punishment. The Assyrians were simply agents of God's judgment. Now this is hard for you and I to get our heads around in the 21st century, but we need to see that God's peace comes not through absence of judgment, but through its consequences. God wasn't absent through Israel's judgment. He was right there with his people. And through all the chaos of invasion, God is in control. It's not like God is asleep in the wheel at the wheel when bad things happen. God is using the bad things in our lives to redeem us and help us to grow. In the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, um, there's a book called A Horse and His Boy. You might have read that. The main character is a boy called Shasta, 
And at one point, he's being chased by lions. They chase him down a riverbank, and he can hear them on the other side of the riverbank. He can hear them roaring. And ultimately, they chase him past some soldiers who want to kill him and to a king for whom he has good news and for whom he has a message of salvation. But at the end of the book, Shasta confronts the God character Aslan, who is himself a lion, and says, Where were you when the lions attacked us? Where were you, God? And Aslan's answer comes back, and I remember reading it for the first time, and it was like a, a bucket of cold water just dropped on me. Aslan says, I was the lion. Friends, when we recognize that God is so powerful that he can even use the bad things in our lives for our good, that's when we have real peace. We don't know why and we don't know how, but true peace can only be found when we appreciate that God uses all things together. Yes, even bad things. Yes, even cancer, even conflict, even betrayal. God uses all those things for the good of his people. Through hardship and trial, God speaks comfort and peace over his people. We can live, friends, in the true comfort that whatever comes at us in life, God will use it for his redemptive purposes. So the second thing that Isaiah is called to do, he's called to cry the way of the Lord. He's encouraged to make a people of preparation. And this is the second cry that comes out in verse 3. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is part of the comfort. After languishing for generations in the wilderness of exile, the people are being called to build a highway for their God. In the wilderness, out of exile. Now, if these words sound familiar to you, it's because they're applied to John the Baptist in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. And we read about it in Mark chapter 1. In fact, Mark starts his gospel, his good news, by talking about how John came and he was the one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths with, for him. This is because the people at the time of Jesus had committed Isaiah 40 to memory. They knew it so well that when John the Baptist came on the scene, they said, ah, this is the one. This is the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. But notice how prophecy is timeless. Yes, John fulfilled this prophecy given hundreds of years before his birth to a T. But friends, this passage applies to us as well. We need to be preparing the way of the Lord in our day. John prepared the people for Jesus' first coming. How are we preparing our hearts and lives for his return? 
Now, often only verse 3 of Isaiah 40 gets quoted, but John knows that there is more to being a people of preparation than building a highway in our souls. We are to lay out the red carpet for our God. Verse 4 says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, living in Dolby on the plains, we live in one of the flattest places on earth. But listening to Bruce and Libby, uh, who came uh, as our link missionaries from uh, Asia, where they come from a place that is very mountainous, it helped me to appreciate what good news this passage is. Bruce told us about a woman who had trekked from her village on a daily basis after working as a laborer all day to get fresh water for her children from the river. Now, if you're living in a town on a hillside, where do you have to go to get to the river? Yes, she had to trek down into the deep valley to get kilograms of water so that her family had clean water to drink. For the Hebrew people, the smoothing of rugged terrain was good news too. Traveling through mountains and valleys made journeys hard and dangerous. And the hope of a landing strip, a red carpet being laid for the way of the Lord, must have seen, seemed too good to be true. But friends, that is the news that Isaiah is to declare. One day, every obstacle for people seeing God's glory will be revealed. And all people We'll see it together. This is not just a national, but a global hope. This is our Advent hope. While John prepared away from the Lord in his day, this prophecy remains only partially fulfilled. Jesus promises that when he returns, every eye will see and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. One day, every hindrance for people seeing Jesus for who he really is will be removed. And that's what we look forward to at Advent. This begs the question, friends, how are we preparing our lives to receive Jesus when he comes? There used to be a show on TV called Doomsday Preppers. Has anyone ever seen that show? Yep, one person. <laughs> this is a great illustration for, for, for one person. <laughs> Doomsday Preppers was about people preparing for nuclear warfare, economic collapse, and viral outbreak. They'd spend their days prepping. They would hoard supplies and hold Doomsday drills. Now, the show finished up in 2015, but it moved me to question... Am I that prepared for Jesus' return? Do I dedicate my time, my attention, and my resources to Jesus with more or less sincerity? Friends, living for Jesus involves giving things away rather than hoarding them. And it involves sharing the gospel with your neighbors rather than being prepared to shoot them. But are we Jesus preppers? 
If Jesus came to our church this morning, would we be ready for him? The Bible encourages us with the news that Jesus could return at any moment. That's why our lives need to be prepared all the time. If we knew the time of his coming, we'd live however we wanted to and then uh, clean up our act just before he came. But again and again in the Gospels, Jesus tells us you need to be prepared at all times and in all ways. You need to be Jesus preppers. The final section we're looking at today is this second existential cry of our Joy to the World series. Last week we looked at uh, the question, how then can I be saved? And this week Isaiah asks, what then shall I cry? It's a deep and personal question. What do I stand for? What message am I sending to the world around me? Am I speaking life? Or am I speaking negativity? Or even worse, am I silent? In Isaiah 6, Isaiah banters with God. He hears a voice saying, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? The response, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Isaiah hears this second call from God, but he isn't sure what message he's meant to send. Is it another message of judgment? When Isaiah asks, what shall I cry? God answers by reminding him that all people are temporary. Our lives are short and our moments are limited. God wants Isaiah to remind us that our days are numbered and we can't live forever. But there's a flip side to this reality in verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Friends, our lives might be temporary, but God's word is forever. Here we realize that there is more to life than the years we have between our birth and our death. God's word, Jesus Christ, breathes eternity into our existence. And all of a sudden, Isaiah realizes that his message is a message of peace. It's a message of hope for all people. It's a timeless message, not just written to the exiles, but to every person on the planet. This deep truth is something worth remembering at Christmas. Christmas, in so many ways, is here today and gone tomorrow. We rush around finding cheap gifts and making food that's either gobbled up or stinks in our bin for weeks to come. But we forget about the people right in front of us. Christmas is about a timeless message, but so often our world throws it away for a consumerist myth. This Christmas, let's make time for people who matter and make sure that we proclaim with our lives and our words the timeless truth 
that the God of the universe came into our world and became a baby to make eternity a reality for you and for me. In the final two verses, the heavens and the earth burst into a song of praise to God. It's beautifully rounded. Verses 10 and 11 say, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This little couplet is beautifully complete as it reveals God's path to peace. Often we don't have peace because we don't feel we have enough power. The government keeps interfering. My boss is always on my case. Or I can't get that person to love me. This is the wrong way to think about peace, friends. When we see that God rules the universe with complete goodness and control, we can sleep easy at night, knowing that we don't have to hold up our little corner of the universe. The position of God has been filled, friends, and you and I are massively underqualified. When we rest on God and we see that Jesus His reward, our justification is with him. We can see that at the heart of the universe, there is a God who is completely at peace. While our world seems out of control, God isn't. On the other side of this reality, again, God isn't some impersonal force at the end of the universe. Instead, he's personal like a shepherd guarding his sheep. One of the other reasons we don't have peace in our world is because we're afraid and we don't feel cared for. Here we see that God delights and cares for his people. We don't need to wander around looking for peace elsewhere. God is ready to lead us in life and gather us together in the power of his love. When we rest on him, we begin to understand and experience his peace. On Friday, I got to see Ernie in hospital. Ernie is 100 years old and is recovering after a fall. When I arrived in Ernie's room, there was this peace about him that you don't usually find in the hospital. He held out his hand and we chatted together. And as we did, he kept bringing the conversation back to God, God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's love. And he kept sharing stories of God's power and of God's goodness. Ernie's whole life cried out with God's peace. Friends, as we long for peace in our world, let's be saints like Ernie. Let's share God's comfort and his cry of peace. Let's prepare the way for his return in our lives and in our world.
And let's proclaim God's message of all peace to all people. Amen.